Welcome to Co-op Energy Talk. I'm Rachel Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative. And today we are going to talk about a very exciting topic, our contract with Wolverine. Wolverine Power Cooperative is headquartered in Cadillac, Michigan, and they supply wholesale power to us here at Cherryland. They are a not-for-profit, member-owned generation and transmission cooperative. They supply five distribution cooperatives and several electric choice customers with over 1,300 megawatts of power supply capacity. They've built an industry-leading power supply portfolio that is over 50% carbon-free at a price that is not only highly competitive, but also stable for the foreseeable future. Cherryland is one of five distribution co-ops that jointly own Wolverine. All five of us have what's known as an all-power requirements contract. Put simply, that means we are legally obligated to purchase all of our power from Wolverine, and none of us can go out into the market on our own or negotiate individually with other potential power suppliers. On the opposite side of that, Wolverine is legally obligated to meet all of our power supply needs. So that's what we want to discuss today. And joining me to discuss that are Tony Anderson, our general manager here at Cherryland. Hey, Tony. Good afternoon. We were just talking. We think this might be our 50th podcast. Something like that, yeah. Lots and lots of podcasts. And a guest we have had here before, the CEO of Wolverine Power Cooperative, Eric Baker. Hi, Eric. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing well. Eric is a Michigan Tech grad in electrical engineering, and he started at Wolverine as an intern, if I remember the story correctly, and has uh, is now the CEO, has been since 2006. Does that sound right? Uh, yes, that's right. Okay. So from, from intern to CEO, if you want to hear that story, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do a, tell you to go back and listen to our, our first podcast ever with Eric, where he tells that story. Um, but for, for today's purposes, we want to talk more about um, the relationship between Wolverine and Cherryland. So to start us off, Eric, can you just talk kind of about the historical reasoning behind the all-power requirements contract? Have we always had it, and why? Yeah, it's. Um, I think the easiest way to frame the historic context of that agreement is to think about why was Wolverine formed to begin with. Uh, in, the early, in the early days, in the late 30s and early 40s, Wolverine did not exist. The distribution members came first, and most of their power supply came from one-room power plants, as they put in back then as primary, primarily diesel generators. Um, in very rural locations. And the distribution members owned each of those plants by themselves. So each co-op, each uh, distribution cooperative would own one or two of its own power plants. And then two things happened. Um, One is the rapid growth in the demand for electricity because once they were able to electrify rural America, the insatiable demand took off and the distribution members struggled to keep up with building more power plants. Uh, so a one-room, one- or two-unit power plant became a two- or three-room, six- or ten- or twelve-unit power plant in a very short period of time. Then what the members realized, individually, their plants were so big that they had no ability to ever turn their power plants off. And so the way they could achieve backup was to interconnect these remote power plants with one another using high-voltage transmission over long distances, 50, 100 miles at the time. And that's when they decided, collectively in Michigan, in 1948 approximately, to form what is now Wolverine Power Cooperative. And the idea was really simple. Let's form our own company that we, that we own that focuses 100% on power supply, and it can raise its own capital to build 
both power plant assets, transmission assets, and in our case, uh, distribution substation assets on behalf of the member owners. So it sounds like it's a kind of a combination of you have this increase in demand for electricity, you have the kind of development of a grid-based system, and then the other thing that you kind of hinted at but I, I think is important to note is by doing the, by by forming Wolverine, it allowed Wolverine to, to develop an expertise in power supply, as opposed to all of the distribution cooperatives having to have their own individual expertise in that as well. And that's a that's an excellent point that's often overlooked because we talk about economies of scale, and we'll we'll talk more about that as we go forward. But the the one of the most important economies is sort of the the human the the people side of those economies of scale because of the expertise that's required to generate and transmit power has specialties in relaying, in generation maintenance, in breaker maintenance, and high voltage equipment that the members could develop, but it doesn't make sense to develop because um, each, of those, each of those human assets requires a certain, um, certain amount of time and money, and together we can utilize those assets and those resources far more efficiently than each individual cooperative could on its own. And so from the beginning, though, it was an all-power requirements agreement between the distribution co-ops who formed Wolverine, right? That's, that's correct, because this, the premise was really simple. In those days, Wolverine as a startup company had no equity. It had no ability to borrow. And so the structure of the, primarily, the primary collateral vehicle back then, and still to this day, our number one source of collateral at Wolverine when we borrow money is the strength of our contract with our members. And that power contract says two things. Each member jointly and severally, that means alone and together, commit to buy all their power supply from Wolverine and to pay all of Wolverine's bills. So, and we'll get a little bit into some of those advantages on the Wolverine side and financing, but I, can you talk about the contract we currently have with Wolverine? You know, kind of when was it signed? When does it expire? That kind of thing. The current contract um, expires in the year 2050, and uh, most of the members signed that agreement in the year 2008. So it's, it's about a 10-year-old agreement, and it has about 30 years remaining on it. Why are those contracts so long? And, and why was it, what happened 10 years ago was my oh, first thought yeah. too. Okay, why don't we do that one first? Why, why, why did we sign a new contract 10 years well, ago? Well, at, at that point, Wolverine was exiting a legacy power agreement with Detroit Edison that it had been receiving almost 95% of its power supply from one company for decades. And we were entering a new phase of our future where we wanted and needed the ability to procure different power supply from different resources. And so the members gave us the ability to, um, through that contract, borrow money for longer periods of time to keep costs down as we invested in new, modern, clean, uh, competitive, and flexible assets. So was a change in response to that? Well, yeah, and, and prior to that time, we didn't own any assets. Like Eric said, it was a contract. Fast forward to today where we own assets, it's a different world than what we had operated under for a long while. Right. So why... Why does the why is the contract as long as the contract is? When that decision was made, we're you know we're going to re-up this till 2050. Why 2050? Yeah, there's there's two reasons uh, for the length of these agreements. Um, the first is very similar to many of us when we buy a house, we want to finance that house over a 30-year period as opposed to a 15-year period. By 
financing it out over a longer period of time, we can reduce today's out-of-pocket cash on behalf of our members. Um, and so it reduces your bill today. If we can finance something over 30 years, it's cheaper than us financing it over 15 years. Then there's a really interesting rate theory at, at purpose here, which is if you finance over a shorter period of time, that means today's customers are paying for assets from which tomorrow's customers will benefit. So if we build a power plant or a high-voltage transmission station or like we've rebuilt most of the high-voltage transmission lines around Traverse City, those assets will be energized in their existing state 30, 40, 50 years from now. And it makes sense for us to roughly depreciate and finance those assets over a long period of time. And that means that all customers over the next three decades will pay for those assets and benefit from those assets. So do you feel like, I mean, obviously there are certain newer generating technologies that have a shorter lifespan than some of our older generating technologies. Do you feel like that might change the dynamic here? I mean, we still have a good mix, which is the goal, but, you right. know. And for some of these assets like solar panels where we think they've got a 20 to 30 year life, but we're not exactly sure because we really haven't had them on the grid that long. Um, and will inverters really last that long? I think, I think some of the newer technologies, the jury is still out on that. But for traditional assets, uh, transmission lines and distribution substations and transmission stations and gas turbine power plants that are all modern, state-of-the-art, clean as you can buy them today, those are those assets tend to last 30 to 50 years. And uh, I'm glad you re reiterated the transmission piece of it because regardless of how we're producing it, to the extent that we want to continue to have a grid to put it on, that is a part of that, that life cycle that we need to account for. That's correct because that transmission grid is what allows the United States to have the strongest, most robust, most reliable, and most cost competitive electric power grid and system and delivery system of any place in the world still today. So there are um, entities out there that will point to some of the limitations of the All Power Requirements Agreement, but before we talk about that, I'd rather we start by talking about some of the advantages. And so from your perspective for Wolverine, what is what are the biggest advantages of having an All Power Requirements contract with your distribution co-op members? Well, first, it, it gives us a, a window and, and a horizon to plan around. and and the electric industry is, is unique in that um, our horizon is not three years, it's not five years, it's not 10 years like would be the, uh, uh, an extreme long-term horizon for many businesses. We're trying to look out 30 years and maybe 40 years. So it allows having that obligation to our members gives us an obligation to think really long-term and to really plan far into the future because many of these assets take a long, long time to develop, to figure out, um, to um, construct, et cetera, permit. And so it gives us a, a long-term window and a long-term view for our planning. As it pertains to Wolverine and how we benefit from that is, again, a strong contract is our primary collateral. We have a strong balance sheet but that's not our most important piece of collateral. It is the contract and the quality of that contract with our members. That allows Wolverine to access um, 
a very high credit rating. We have the highest credit rating in Michigan for all utilities. We have an A-stable standard and poor credit rating, which is really, really high. And that allows us to very low cost, long-term debt. Uh, as, as, uh, as, as evidence of that, all of Wolverine's debt presently uh, is, we have close to three quarters of a billion dollars of, of debt. So $750 million almost of, of long-term debt. And the average interest rate on that is less than 4%. So why is your credit rating higher than other utilities in the state? Because of the strength of our all requirements contract. So then on the opposite side of that, Tony, can you kind of quantify, well, not maybe quantify, but talk through them. What are the advantages to Cherryland's members of having an all-power requirements contract with Wolverine? So we know what the advantages are from Wol for Wolverine, and we know we're all part of the same family. Sure. But if you had to say to a Cherryland member, here's how you benefit. It's like Eric said, it's the economies of scale. We can... Wolverine can buy power and build power on a bigger scale than Cherryland can alone. And when we share that, it drives the price down. It's, it's volume. It's, it's, a, it's all volume. You know? and certainly I, I can't build a power plant in my backyard at a big enough scale at a cheap enough price to compete with what Eric can do regionally over five co-ops. It just makes sense to buy it all together. That's why we buy our bread in a loaf and not one slice at a time. It's just cheaper. <laughs> Maybe the first time a G&T has ever been compared to a loaf of bread, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. um, so one of the things uh, Mark Wilson, our CFO, and I were talking about a little bit, and it reminded me also of a conversation I've had with Sam Hogue at Wolverine, is the ways in which our relationship with Wolverine gives us some stability and predictability that we wouldn't have even if we, even if we did decide to go at our own, work out on the market, take advantage of the market in certain ways. There's this predictability that comes from the work you do on our behalf as, a, as kind of like a big picture power supplier doing that planning. And I, I think we can't underestimate that value to mm -hmm. our members as well. So collective bargaining power, but even if there was a time when we could go out on our own and get a cheaper price, we would never be able to build in that stability and predictability. Right. And when you look at the renewable portfolio that Wolverine has, we could never build that renewable portfolio in Cherryland service territory because nobody wants to look at the windmills. And now I'm getting back to the last podcast, but the fact is they're buying power and the fact they can transmit it from hundreds of miles away uh, benefits everybody that we serve. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There are other organizations in the state that have a different model. And imagine this model when, in, in contrast, when, when Wolverine working with its members can collectively make a decision on, on a long-term asset, through that deliberation, and once we make a decision to do that, I as Wolverine's chief executive then am given signature authority to transact. And so that means that in one signature, we can take down an entire development at a really low cost. Other entities in the state require individual authorities, so they may assemble a, a similar-sized interest, but then they have to go out for 20 and sometimes 30 different approvals, and it makes that process very slow. And it, that our ability to go to market quickly in larger chunks gives us a lot of buying leverage. Yeah, that's a really good point, because in the, the other model you're describing, any one entity in that, let's say, 20 utility consortium correct there's no they could ruin it for everyone for lack of a, kind of a crass way of saying it but that that makes it hard to, to move forward yeah so there's a lot of advantages to the contract are we ready to talk about some disadvantages i mean what happens to this contract it there's what 100 gnts in the country uh, about 65 65 roughly. 
not every GND has a working relationship like you do with their distribution members. So what causes this contract to go bad? And what causes the all this good stuff to go wrong other places? Well, not um, not surprisingly, it's often people that get in the way of good ideas. And <laughs> um, I can see two... I've seen two themes in the past. One is the fact that our, our assets that we often invest in on behalf of our members are long-term in nature and our contracts are long-term in nature. I've seen other entities um, become complacent that, hey, you've got a contract for 30 years, you know, tough pay the bill and we're on to the next thing. And so I think it can lend to complacency. Um, I think the second the second way I've, I've seen it go bad is when uh, GNTs lose sight of an evolving marketplace because the market continues to evolve and, and the services that we need to provide our members today and tomorrow are very different than they were even 10 years ago and certainly 20 and 30 years ago or going back to 1948 when we were formed. So we need to continue to listen to our members and engage with our members to figure out what is it that they want from Wolverine, whether it's different services or different types of generation or more or less renewables or whatever the members' interests are. And that happens through engagement and continuous uh, strategic planning that occurs at every single Wolverine board meeting um, and really listening to the feedback that we get from members and what we see in the marketplace and trying to bring those together into some consensus direction uh, for us uh, to, to take advantage of this model. So what does a co-op do when its GNT gets complacent? What's, what's their alternative? How do you get out of this contract? Well, the, I mean, the, the contract is essentially unassailable. It's, it, it is unassailable. It, it's been tested in court. It, it happened in the 80s, and it's happening today. And, and the contract is, is very strong, and, it's, again, that's what makes it uh, a, an important piece of collateral. Um, the, the thing to remember is that Wolverine's board is governed by board members from each distribution cooperative. So in the particular case of Cherryland, Cherryland sends three of its directors to the Wolverine board table, and Tony, as a CEO, sits at the Wolverine board table and has an opportunity every single month to feed back to Wolverine and, and to steer it a different direction. And so it's through that member engagement that, that there is governance and control of Wolverine. And in some ways, our size advantages us because you have five distribution co-op members sitting at your board table as opposed to some of the larger G&Ts that have a much larger board. And it's a little harder to find consensus and move forward with that. It doesn't change your point earlier about listening to your members' needs and trying to find that consensus, but it it it's a little easier to, to be aligned with a smaller, more nimble board. Yeah, sometimes small families are more functional than big families. That's a, yeah, it's a good Sometimes, idea. sometimes. So, yeah, it, it depends. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting too, Eric, because what you're describing about complacency hit home with me because we, we, I hear this from our members all the time. Well, why do you care what I think of you? I don't have a choice. Well, you may not, but I'm going to every single day come to work and treat you like you do. I'm every single day going to... to earn your membership even if you don't have a choice where you get electricity and I think that goes a long a long way in a member-driven organization mm -hmm. like ours yep. and it, it does in Wolverine as well and we remind our staff of that regularly which is remember who pays the bills here it is 
the it's the distribution members primarily that that started Wolverine that pay most of the bills at Wolverine. And if we do not provide service to each member co-op in a way that they feel they're getting a good value, then Wolverine has no reason to exist long term. Uh, how do you, go ahead? Oh, I was just going to say. So we've talked a little bit about kind of what happens when it goes wrong, but there are outside of our co-op family others who are at times um, critical or, or skeptical about the all-power requirements agreement. In particular, developers building small-scale renewables uh, tend to find it frustrating, uh, mostly because they'd rather negotiate directly with the distribution co-op than work with the GNT. So kind of how do you respond to that, or what's your take on that? I've, I've seen this criticism before, and I, it's perhaps an, a, an unpopular answer, but I, I believe these, this occurs when you have special interests that want to apply a very specific and local interest on a local board like Cherryland that have a particular outcome in mind. And they, they, they would view Cherryland as an easier entity to shift in direction than Wolverine because Cherryland is approximately a 10 to 20 percent of the total sales of Wolverine. And so it, it, it's much more difficult to, to bring that influence to Wolverine as a collective than it is to, to each individual board one-on-one. Yeah, and you know, I think the other thing that happens in that, not always, but that can happen, is you have maybe a small project. It, when you guys are looking at projects that you're thinking about bringing into our portfolio, you're buying at a really large scale, which is giving you really great cost efficiencies. Mm-hmm. So they can't compete. And that they don't like that answer, but every member who gets electricity from us should love that answer because that means you're able to buy us power cheaper. And so I don't want to work with you if I can't sell it to you as cheap as someone else can, but as someone who is buying power from you, that's exactly what I want you to be doing. So there's it's that that interesting tension between, I think, the, the developers and the end-use members as well. I think one of the challenges that we face as an industry is it's become, it's, 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 it's gone from an industry that was complex in an engineering and accounting framework to on top of that now you have very complex regulatory and market frameworks under which we operate. We have, a, we have the, the MISO market, which is headquartered in Indianapolis, and then there's the PJM market, which is in, headquartered in uh, Valley Forge in Pennsylvania, roughly. And, and it, it's, they're two distinct markets with complex sets of rules, and it requires a lot of expertise and attention, focused, dedicated expertise focused on understanding how to participate within that. And oftentimes a local developer will see a very tiny piece of that market saying, well, here's my retail bill. If I can sell lower than that retail bill, then this should be a good deal for the customers, when in truth, that may likely not be the case. There might be many other factors that um, are just beyond the reach of, of that particular developer to, to see and, and understand. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the, the drums Tony and I have been pounding lately is just that if we are taking seriously the need to do energy cleaner than we ever had have, the fastest and most cost-effective way to do that is at scale, and that's what Wolverine is perfectly positioned to do on our behalf. Yeah, like I said before, far better than we are. Mm-hmm. Far better than we are. Tony, you had a question that I cut you off. Uh, I, I was going to ask about board members. Uh, you've had new board members come on your your board, and obviously the one thing they want to look at is the, the contract. And I, I know you've had one from Cherryland in the past who questioned the contract. 
and how do we get out of that contract? How do you educate those board members? How do you, all the good stuff you've told us over the last 20 minutes, how do you get that across to a board member who just wants to drive down the price and doesn't care about the history and the, all of that? Yeah, what uh, we, we try to do a much more active um, um, education campaign. Um, now when, when we get a new director, uh, we have new director training and we have information. And then we discuss the important merits of that contract regularly in the context of our CFO presentation at Wolverine in terms of as we, as we tap debt markets and look for opportunities to finance our investing, um, how that all requirements contract pays in or plays into, into the, the, total, the total overall objective, which is trying to find a balance of these things. It's not just the lowest cost today, but how do we bring price stability and how do we bring renewables to reduce our carbon footprint knowing that that is not the least cost solution today? And so how do you marry and manage all of these competing objectives in a way um, and that's what requires the board input, but also the long-term view. And, and that's the part that the all requirements contract uh, plays into contractually, that we have multiple masters, multiple objectives that we're trying to balance uh, on a month-to-month, year-to-year, sort of cycle-to-cycle basis. Well, and I think, Tony, it goes back to a conversation we've had about board members in general, is that in general, if what you're if you have a single agenda and you get onto one of our boards, you're going to find yourself very frustrated because we do there are all of these complexities. And to be effective, the most important thing we can do is make our board members comfortable with complexity. Mm-hmm. And to the extent they bring that, then they're going to be a great board member. It's not about knowing all the things. It's about oh, yeah. yeah. And the board member I referenced, he ended up being one of our best board members. He's he's no longer with us, but he ended up being a great board member. But he just didn't understand it at the start. But once he did, he was all in. And if we'd had this podcast at that time, you could have just handed that to him and exactly. called it done. So speaking of the podcast, we're almost to the end of our time, but I, I, there's one thing I'd really love both of you to weigh in on, and that is, and Eric, you've hinted at this, that like GNTs that succeed, they're evolving, they're mm-hmm. adapting. Part of the reason we renewed our contract in 2008, you point out, Tony's, it was just kind of an evolution after what, our relationship with DTE. So mm-hmm. as you look forward into the future and you know that we are in this kind of rapidly changing moment in the world of energy, how do you see the relationship between Wolverine and the distribution co-ops evolving? I see it uh, getting stronger because it's going to have to. If we're going to increase our carbon footprint and if we're going to keep our prices down, we have to stick together. You know, there's a lot of talk about that distributed generation. Let's build a small generator in this neighborhood and let's build a small one there. Well, if you listen to Eric talk in this podcast from the beginning, that's where we were 80 years ago. We, we can't forget our history because everybody today is wanting to go back there and the price wasn't there. So as I move forward, it, it has to be stronger. So we, we might have to work harder to make it stronger because we're going to have more outside forces trying to tear us apart to do new and sexy different things. And we can't forget how we got here. We have a great carbon portfolio, carbon-free portfolio, at a great price, and our projections for the next year are solid. So we can't forget how we got here. And sometimes I think we... It's easy to forget. You, Eric? As customer-owned organizations at the distribution co-op, you're, you're, you're wrestling with customers are demanding more, and, and we believe our distribution members are going to demand more from Wolverine. So more technologies that the consumers are interested in, you're seeing more and more access to different forms of generation 
And I think many of the many of the members want their co-op to be their partner. And I so how Cherryland evolves to be that partner in the future will dictate how Wolverine is a partner to Cherryland. So, you know, things like new services, um, in, enhanced uh, coordination and communication, faster response as we divide and conquer because our expertises are, are becoming more and more specialized and how do we marry those up so that we get the best bang for the buck. And certainly more customized offerings, new pricing schemes that you know, in the past, we had one rate, one size fits all. It doesn't work anymore. We have, we have different in industrial commercial com demands. We have different interests in time of use rates. We have different interests in, in, in uh, behind the meter generation. And, and so we have to be very creative at Wolverine to try to listen to the concerns that the members are bringing us and figure out solutions together working with the members. That's, I, I think that's how, that's how our relationship will likely evolve in the next decade. And there's a I think there's more than a handful of GNTs that are really trying to look into the future and work together to to try on different products and services to see how that fits into this evolving world. So did you just give us a license to be more demanding than we already are? Absolutely. You're the boss. You're the boss. <laughs> Should I just end it right there? Nobody yeah. can say anything yep. else. Drop the mic. <laughs> Um, well, I do want to, um, we're going to have fun facts, but I just want to thank both of you for taking the time to talk through this with us. I know when we first started talking about it, you're like, oh, that doesn't sound like a very interesting podcast, but it really is the kind of bedrock of this relationship that is almost invisible to most people who receive electricity from us. And it's 70 cents of every dollar we spend goes to power supply. Mm -hmm. And um, my takeaway is just that it's not necessarily about the intricacies of how this is going to look. It's about the importance of continued and open dialogue and listening to, to your point, us listening to our members, Wolverine listening to us, and all of us working together towards what I think are pretty similar and shared goals. Oh, absolutely. So with, uh, with that, I, wanna, I asked everyone to bring fun facts. So, Tony, you want to kick us off with your fun fact? Sure. I, I was watching uh, TV the other night, and Anheuser-Busch had an ad, and it it led me to believe that they were 100% renewable. So I went to their website. So right at the Anheuser-Busch.com website, it says 11% of their energy is generated from renewable resources. And that includes bioenergy, recovery systems, landfill gas, wind, and solar. 100% of their brewing process is powered by wind. So when you see Anheuser-Busch 100% renewable, that's just their brewing process. They're really 11% renewable today. But they don't use any corn syrup. I'm sorry. Was that? Uh, that was. The, yeah. Wasn't that the other yeah. thing? I was, in the <laughs> I was trying not to reference the game I was watching. <laughs> Eric, well, how about you? Did you bring a fun fact? I did. In the in the winter winter doldrums that um, we're still in and of recovering from from last week, uh, Wolverine had a, a few really interesting things happen. First, our five distribution members hit their all time record winter usage in in a 24 hour period on. I believe it was July, or I'm sorry, January 30th. So all-time record usage. Wolverine in that 24-hour period had its all-time record amount of generation production in a 24-hour window. And because its peaking power plants were dispatched by Indianapolis, the, the grid operator that covers Michigan, they were dispatched 24 hours a day to provide electric reliability to all Northern Michigan's uh, residents. So um, Wolverine was generating close to almost um, 300 megawatts. So another way to put it is we were generating six times roughly the size of Cherryland in excess of our all-time record demand so that the Wolverine cooperatives could support the, uh, 
the grid in, in uh, the upper Midwest. But we never did ask anybody to shut down or reduce load. Uh, only that which we were obligated to do under our reliability, which was the appeal for public um, uh, voluntary with reductions. Yeah. Well, my point is we were never in danger of not having enough electricity. We believe that to be true. It's amazing, isn't it? It's just you, you, you build and you build and you build and you maintain and you plan, and it's awesome when the moment comes and things did what you needed them to do at that time. So we're very, very proud of the way our system performed for us at that time. We had a high degree of operational readiness of the Wolverine crews, and also I'll throw a shout-out to DTE Gas, was, uh, had a really high availability of, of their gas system at our power plants. So I would like to throw one tiny fa uh, fun fact at you in addition to that. You want two fun facts? I do. Fine. I okay. do. On the day that, that we had our, our all-time record generation, uh, Wolverine's gas-fired power plants, uh, very efficient units and very clean, they operated at an amount of output that's close to 90% of what they can generate in our maximum state. So that's, a, that's an amazing run for, for peaking plants. Wow. That's in awesome. contrast, our solar project operated at 19% of its total daily maximum output. Well, I'm impressed by that because I'll tell you that our solar project right out here was at 0% of everything. We didn't get anything those days. It was not a great day for solar for us. But um, uh, just, again, shout out to Wolverine for keeping the lights on for us during that time. My fun fact is in line with Tony's. It's from a Super Bowl ad. Um, I saw, it has been said in a Super Bowl ad, so it must be true, that 30% of all new Audis will be electric by 2025. Just in time for me to need a new car. There you go. So, go electric. Thank you guys again for joining us. Thank you. You're welcome.